Welcome back. Today's episode is sponsored by the Giblet Gravels. We're going to be talking about the Giblet Gravels in the next uh, probably half a dozen episodes or so. And what you need to do if you're a big fan of wine and interesting wines and really trying to get your head around what is going on in this amazing appellation of the Giblet Gravels, what you need to do is go to gibletgravels.com. That's G-I-M-B-L-E-T-T-G-R-A-V-E-L-S.com. I suggest first clicking on terroir and then clicking on soil. And that's where it all begins. Have a little read, get comfortable, poke around, look at the wineries, look at the, the story, the ancient Narora River, all these amazing things and what makes this place so unique for these uh, amazing wines that grow there. After you're done doing all that, click on About and then go down to Annual Vintage Selection. Now, I don't know how many people realize this, but since 2008, the Giblet Gravels Association has put out an annual vintage selection. And these are chosen by both the uh, association, but also they get in a uh, big flash wine writer or uh, aficionado. And the 2015 wines have just been released. There is a group of Uh, wines that have been selected that are the standouts from that vintage and you can now purchase them I think it's for the first time ever they've been available to the public and um, uh, I've seen some tweets and I've seen some things about it but I haven't and uh, that they've selected them but I haven't seen a lot of publicity yet about the fact that you know the average Joe can just log on and buy them uh, you're talking about some of the top wines produced in that year in the entire country. 2015 was uh, a low cropping year, but a very good summer and a, uh, an excellent vintage with great intensity. So I think you'll find it's a, um, yeah, a really good deal. And again, a very special gift for somebody or for yourself, hopefully. <laughs> um, so I would hop on that. And this episode is also sponsored, of course, by Decibel Wines. Uh, Go to decibelwines.com and check out our store up there. Use the uh, promo code DBPODCAST and get 10% off your first order. We ship to the UK, the US, Australia, free all over New Zealand. It's really kind of built into the price for if you're shipping to the US, for instance. So, yeah, visit the website. Also, hashtag Decibel Wines and hashtag Drink Decibel. We'll reach out to you. We've been throwing a few things around to people who uh, do that on both Instagram and Facebook, where you can find me at Decibel Dan is where, who I am there. And on, uh, well, that's sorry, that's on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, but on Facebook, I'm sorry, that's on Instagram and Twitter. Jesus, it's so hard to keep up. Instagram and Twitter is at Decibel Dan. Facebook is just uh, Decibel Wines. You'll find us there. And lots of info up on the website. Always trying to update that and, yeah, continue to tell my story. Uh, We've just updated the store over the last month or so, so there's some really all brand new wines up there, including the 2016 Rosé, which is basically only released right now in New Zealand, but it's on its way to America, which is pretty exciting. So stand by and look for that. And yeah, so today I talked to Ali Powery, who is the uh, viticulturist for 
uh, Villa Maria Group. So he works with Villa Maria Wines, Vital Estate, Esque Valley Wines, uh, probably a bit of Thornberry and a bit of Tiawa in there as well. And I've known Ollie since 2008, probably 2009. I think we probably, we definitely met in 2008, became, you know, a little more familiar with each other in 2009 when I worked at Vital Estate with winemaker Hugh Crichton there and, uh, and Richard Painter at the time, who's now at Tiawa, and we're going to talk to him in a couple weeks, which is exciting. But yeah, Ollie was just a guy who uh, I always had a lot of respect for mostly because of his demeanor and he just comes across as somebody knowledgeable confident and somebody who seems to know what they're doing out in the vines he has a really good way of explaining things in a a sort of calm cool way and he's a cool guy man it was great talking to him and i hope you guys enjoy it cheers years ago man last time yeah uh, we technically worked together but you had your little offices at vital estate and i was a, a green still student winemaker at that point uh but that was great great vintage and uh really good time working for vital uh but how long have you been at villa maria yes yeah, so it is 10 years it's gone fast so i so, started oh you started not long before yeah that. i started just before the um 2007 harvest so that would have been a good few years to start yeah. with then so i was feeling a bit green myself at that point yeah um rocked into the company viticulturist role at villa maria just before harvest and um yeah had hugh Crichton starting the same vintage it was his vintage, first vintage yeah, of that's right. yeah, as, yeah. um winemaker so but like you say it was a great vintage really um you know amazing weather so it was about Picking decisions were all about flavor. It wasn't about bad weather coming or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. It's good when we get years like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't always happen. Um, but but you're a Hawks Bay guy. You grew up here? Yeah. Grew up in Napier and um, went to high school here and then went away to Otago for university for a while. Mm. Um, studied a, I did a science degree in plant biology there. Had no thoughts of the wine industry at that stage though. And That's then, a good spot, place to start, though, I guess. Yeah, you know? no, it was, um, it's been really useful. And then travelled overseas, uh, mainly living in the UK, working, saving money to travel to the continent. And it was while I was over there, I thought viticulture was something I really wanted to look at and pursue. So came back and studied at EIT. That's um, right. I see your picture in the airport. I okay, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about time they took that thing down. <laughs> I know you guys, are, you and Nick look so young in that photo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're either going to have to update it or get rid of it. <laughs> oh, they're waiting for the next stars to arise of uh, EIT, I guess. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I suppose they're quite proud of uh, of you guys. And, uh, and yeah, both of, both of you guys have done well. So, obviously, between 
you know, you don't just come back from Europe and start as a, you know, viticulturist for Villa Maria. So yeah. you were, did you do vintages? You were popping around? What was going on? Um, yeah, so just to, like, when I thought of doing the viticulture degree, I'd um, hooked up a vintage in Beaujolais, met some Australians who were on their way to do a vintage there, and cool. they said, come along. And I thought um, before I sign up for two years of the viticulture degree, I'd do that and loved it, like, really enjoyed being in the vineyard. But... Um, you know, in the evenings we'd eat together and open up old bottles of wine and talk yeah. about these wines. I had a great time. And um, so then had two years studying to do the viticulture degree. And while I was there, I worked at Cellini. Um, there was a viticulturist there called Craig Single at the time. Um, and so he took me under his wing a bit and made sure I got a really good broad sort of level of experience at Cellini. And then when I graduated, I actually got a job with Sacred Hill just down the road here. Mm-hmm. Um, all and, big, you're play, playing with all the big hitters, man. Yeah, that's this is, right. This is some good wines you're playing with, yeah. And um, so, you know, where the Deerstalkers Vineyard is now, that uh-huh. was um, had a whole lot of pine trees on it. And um, there was really? a rifle range in, in there as well. And so my job was to work with the viticulturists at that stage to um, plant that bare land, well, pull all the trees out that's and then plant The gravels there? No, you're yeah, deer, it is. Deer stalkers, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. opposite. Cornerstone. Because I always mix up the name between that and the Riflemans. Oh, okay. The Riflemans yeah. is... That's sort of up the Dartmoor. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Dartmoor, that's right, yeah. We just talked to Tony last week. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, I want to rewind a second. So, uh, you know, speaking of being green, you were probably sort of bright-eyed and, and excited when you were in Beaujolais. What did you find? Because that's a, a hot wine region now, I mean, at least in the States, yeah. and I've, I've noticed people like... Um, Maison Veron up in Auckland, they're bringing in a lot of Bojo these days, and it just yeah. seems to be the world is, I mean, it's never really gone away, but it's really coming around to that style of wine now, and uh, I think it bodes well for New Zealand style as well, especially, you know, because they kind of come off as cool climate, though I'm not yeah, sure they right. quite they are, but what, were your, what was your experience there as, like, the wines and what you loved? and Yeah, uh, sure, this was back in, um, this was 99 we were there. And, um, yeah, I had, hadn't drunk a lot of Beaujolais wines before we got there. But, um, like you say, they do come across as cool climate, they're fresh. And, mm. um, but, you know, in terms of the structure of some of those wines from the better vineyards were really interesting as well. Um, and, and still had that savoury component to them as well, especially with a bit of, a, bit of age. Yeah. Um, yeah, so not, I'm still um, not out buying a lot of Beaujolais, but I definitely enjoy drinking them when I get a chance. Yeah, they're still not the easiest thing to find in New Zealand, but uh, like I said, you can kind of see a trend. I was just up in Auckland last week selling some wine, and we're, you know, seeing it on the odd wine list, and, and just didn't see it before. Yeah, sure. And um, like I said, I think that's good. And then there's you know a few people making some gamay here and there popping up. So yeah, and you meet people in New Zealand that you know really um, enjoy the wines and follow them. Um, yeah, I've got a friend here in Hawke's Bay, and he loves um, matching Gamay with what he's cooking if he has a dinner party or something, and yeah. he really enjoys it. Yeah, I think it's a, it's sort of a really good wine to transition to to change people's perceptions of what you know a red wine can be. It doesn't always have to be this big, voluptuous, jammy, juicy. Not that we in Hawke's Bay make necessarily that, but we certainly aim, I think, to make like fleshier wines and things like yeah, that sure. you know where these those wines have a bit of a bite to them and um had some conversations with people that we think you know hawks bay and we're going to get to the gibble gravels soon uh but 
probably the Giblet Gravels being the top of that list and Bridgepot Triangle next to it. You know, those are sites where, yeah, you know, you can make some bigger reds. Uh, but I think a lot of Hawks Bay is probably more sorted to, suited for uh, wines of that style, you know, that yeah, maybe sure. are a little more. Uh, I don't know about Pinot. I've, I think probably somewhere, but uh, yeah. Villas had some Pinot, Hawks yeah, Bay Pinots. Yeah, we did um, have a planting at Caltern Vineyard just down the road here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think um, even when you're at Vital, you probably did yeah, a bit of plunging of some stop, Yeah, we did the, uh, stop bank the Stop Bank Pinot, yeah. That's right. Is that from Caltern? It was, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's, um, and it, and it did really well. We had uh, five different clones there. Um, but unfortunately, that particular planting, um, it was early on in terms of uh, managing virus in the vineyards. And the yeah. virus got a little bit out of control to the point that, um, you know, it was actually better to pull the blocks out and start again. Yeah. Um, and, of course, when it came to replanting it, Chardonnay was a more obvious choice. So They're going for it with the Chardonnay, yeah. So, um, but that, and yeah. the Kelter and Chardonnay's done pretty well, so I'd say yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a the, good decision, you know. And where we've planted Chardonnay back into those old Pinot sites is, um, you know, the Chardonnay's loving it there too. But um, yeah, Pinot, I think we we are interested in looking at you know other possibilities in Hawke's Bay, um, probably further up the road from there, heading up um, into Maracaco the river terraces, Maracaco, like, yeah, yeah, um, in particular. And possibly um, over in Central Hawks Bay has got to be a pretty exciting place. Looking at what cheaper land, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, yeah, got to watch getting speeding tickets though. Trust me, I've been, <laughs> I've been burned, man. It's, yeah, it's rough going up and back from Martinborough. I try to cut back through that way, but you see the potential. You know, when you drive down south, yeah, um, you know, there's a clear difference. I feel when somewhere in there, I, I always. It happens, and I don't always take notice of exactly where it happens, but you go, oh, I'm not in Hawke's Bay anymore. Yeah, you know, that's right. It's a bit overcast, and you're a lot closer to those mountain ranges. And yeah. I guess, you know, where what's the where the windmill's at? Is that Great Town? No, no, not um, Great Town. Um, it's like uh, Woodville or something. Woodville, yeah. yeah, like you start going, yeah, I'm not in Hawke's Bay anymore. But certainly before yeah. that, you feel like, oh, there's still good sunlight here. And, yeah, that's you know, right. And some nice rolling hills north-facing, and there's some good... Probably old river terraces and things we don't know about. Yeah, that'd be some... Uh, and cheaper. <laughs> if you even... Um, I mean, State Highway 50 is a fairly small road, but if you get off on some of those side roads, you yeah. see some amazing properties and things. But, yeah. Yeah, I think the rainfall, as you get close to the mountains, um, for every kilometre you go close to the ranges, it like gets that much more rain. So mm. if you can just stay off, off that, that. Line, but Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, you were, were back. You were Sacred Hill, you said, and then yeah. So Sacred Hill, and then um, what was exciting about that opportunity was obviously developing new vineyard, and then they had um, on the corner of Gimlet Road they had a property there that they managed for um, some investors, and so that was um, called Balthazar. Oh yeah, vineyard. yeah, sure, sure. And great wines um, out of there. Yeah, yeah. so it's John, really, John something, right? John Lockie. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. Some really stony soils, like um, you know, the, some of those trunks were the size of your little finger after ten years. It was, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also um, a little block further do- towards Omahu Gravels as well, um, called Woodlands. Um, so three sites, and so that was my um, first real experience. Um, so really, yeah, it's really. Uh, Sort of embedded in the gravels as a yeah. as a young viticulturist, yeah. And bordering Villa Maria Vineyard, so I used to see these um, carloads of villa staff turn up at harvest time and all jump out and yeah, um, wonder what was going on over the fence. <laughs> um, and I didn't know a lot about Villa Maria, but um, yeah, it was up. So from Sacred Hill, 
my wife Rebecca and I really wanted to um, spend some time in France. So we um, sort Good of move. upped and packed our bags and I got a job with a company called Gabriel Meff, which is based in Gigondas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working on an estate in the Languedoc, Costier and Nimes region and was working the vineyard and the winery for a year. So I had a year in France. What kind of wines were you making there? Um, so generally they were um, Syrah, Grenache, awesome. Carignan based wines. I love that yeah. stuff, man. There's another, I can, probably because of price, but you know, when I go out to eat or particularly in some sales trips in the States, I yeah. immediately gravitate to that part of the wine list these days. Yeah. And partially because of, you know, the Syrah that we're doing in Hawke's Bay. Yeah. I find so much more interest and, in, you know, to find a good Bordeaux can either cost you a lot of money or it can be completely random. Yeah. And Burgundy is usually just the, can't afford it anyway yeah. or you know uh so i i tend to gravitate yeah you know, southern france okay, languedoc cool. and grenache Syrahs. they're just so interesting those wines yeah. you know yeah. um but yeah i think part of it too is what we're doing here uh, speaking of grenache the only grenache i ever was a ma- part of making was with villa maria when oh, okay. i worked at vital yeah. you guys still have some of that yeah we do still um it's only a hectare there yeah i remember it was just a few but, barrels um, or something yeah yeah, Maybe. so that was made at, you're right, the first couple of vintages um, were very small and made at Vital. Yeah. And now it's made at Villa Maria and, um, you know, that's getting a following that wine. So it's... it's You guys do yeah. 100% Grenache? We do, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, I think this, um, the 16 vintage actually, there's a barrel of Tempranillo in there just to add a bit of flavor, a bit of spice sure. in there. But um, otherwise it's been 100%. Well, this uh, provides an opportunity for me to... Uh, you know, give a little love to Villa Maria because I have been known to uh, thrash some of the big dogs here and there. Uh, not all of them, but just a few that, you know, you got to have some people to fight against in this world, you know. <laughs> um, but not just because I worked for Villa back in the day and I still have a lot of friends who work there, but uh, it has a lot to do with that, that they champion uh, innovation, uh, organics, um, yeah, which right. we'll talk about in a second. And then... Um, you know, doing interesting single vineyard wines and having a passion about, you know, leading the way for, uh, for, for Hawke's Bay in New Zealand to make premium wines and to try, take some risks, you know, I guess that, that must start at the top with George, you know, yeah, you know, he's, um, finger he's on the pulse for an old guy, you know, he seems to be really uh, excited still, you know, he doesn't seem to, I don't know how he does it, you know, yeah. I hope I can have that kind of uh, drive when I'm, what's, he's got to be in the 70s? Was, um, yeah, he would be in his mid-70s. It's awesome, um, man. Incredible so, level of energy and yeah. commitment. He's just so focused. And one thing that um, he always comes back to quality. And so, I don't know, you do notice with some of the large wine companies that um, they will want to uh, produce a volume of fruit and so they'll find vineyards and plant varieties to meet the demand. But... You know, when it, if you want to make quality wines, you're always looking at the site, yeah. thinking about what will that site um, do best with, what variety will grow the best. So we always focus on what's the best variety for the site rather than being um, We need a lot more Merlot and just yeah, plant exactly. it somewhere, yeah. 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 Um, sorry, you're in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to France. So yeah. had a year in France, which... Um, the old 35-hour working week. Um, so oh, that's really yeah, well. that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so um, came to Friday, and I think I was pretty much the only one who showed up for work most weeks. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we used the weekend, so by uh, mid-morning Friday we were off. Rebecca would pack the car, and we'd 
drive to a different wine region in France and have three days, get back for work on the Monday again. Yeah. Um, but it was actually the 2003 vintage I was there, which was the really hot year. Mm. They called it Le Chaleur, which um, was so hot that um, you know a lot of people were getting sick from the heat over there. Yeah, if you look on vintage charts for a lot of Italy and France and Spain, yeah. it says... You know, I forget what the other letters would be, but it would say I for irregular. Oh, really? Okay. Because, like, they don't want to classify and say it was a hot, great year because some yeah. places it was too hot and it just made the wines like they never were before. Yeah, sure. You know, so I, you, I guess you experienced that a bit. Yeah, so I turned up, um, you know, post for Raison, but, you know, was told, you know, go and have a bit of a look around France, come back ready for vintage. and But I was doing the sampling for grape maturity. And obviously, I'd only just come from a harvest, so my palate, you know, I was probably pretty tuned into what the sugar levels tasted like. And I kept thinking, man, these grapes um, look like they're not far away. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we'd send them into the laboratory and they'd come back at 20, 20 bricks or 21 bricks. They're climbing slowly, but I just had this feeling that, um, that the sugar levels were higher than what we were getting. And then by the time we pulled our rosé and it came in at 16% alcohol. Oh. So, um, you know, probably my... You know, now I'd go with my gut instinct and um, and question the lab results. But in that season, it was just like, oh well, um, we'll just hang it on till the winemaker's ready. And yeah, no, we'll be... it's it's always good to taste. Yeah, we've had some. I've seen that happen in Hawks Bay. Yeah, you know, where yeah. you're like, oh, we got to let it get to twenty three and a half, and then you pick it and it's twenty five. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, the Grenache um, you mentioned before, we in two thousand and fourteen, um, it hit. Prior to that, it had always been the last grapes of the year by a good two weeks. And in 2014, we thought, I oh, will throw a Grenache sample in. And it was a month earlier than we would normally pick it, and it was already 24.5 bricks. Wow. And so we thought we'd better resample it and just double-check that, and by the next day it was 24.8 bricks. So we, <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, let's get this in there. Yeah. Oh, I, I got a taste of that wine. I didn't even know it was it existed. Uh, maybe somebody told me that for a while, but... Yeah, the it can be found. The I guess. fourteen vintage is still around. I think you um, probably through Liquor King here in Hawkes yeah. Bay, okay. and um, otherwise through the cellar door. Yeah, but Nick Piconi, um he has these. You you probably know better in the winery um, these rolly type um, fermenters. I think it's like an oak fermenter, maybe a. Oh yeah, meters. yeah, yeah. For the yeah, and they spin them. On they the, spin them. On the, so yeah. he put the Grenache in there in 2014, and he didn't take it off skins until November. Awesome. So um, kept tasting it, and the tannins just kept getting more and more resolved. So kept it on, and um, ended up pressing it off a month before Christmas. I think. It's yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that if you taste that one, it's got big tannins, but they're really um, smooth and yeah, yeah, it's an interesting wine. Long chains. Yeah. That's what you want. Uh, so when did you get back from France? Or did you go somewhere else first? Uh, so on the way back, um, well, what what happened? We were um, staying in this little winery apartment in France, and um, Rebecca had found it harder to get work than me there. So we thought, well, let's before we go back to New Zealand, we'll have her try and get a job teaching. So she applied for a few jobs internationally, but um, lo and behold, the job she got was in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Oh. Um, and so we'd always wanted to go to Vietnam, but um, all of a sudden we had this opportunity to go and work there. So Rebecca um, applied and got the job, and a few weeks later we were in Ho Chi Minh. So that was um, before we came back to New Zealand. It's a little humid for grape growing there. Yeah, that's know? right. <laughs> so I was looking forward to just um, kicking back for yeah, a year. Yeah, sweet. 
spending some time eating some amazing food man yeah i love that food yeah that's absolutely right. love it yeah i just had some well the auckland version of it oh, okay oh nice <laughs> but uh i'm always you know we talk about i look for certain wines on a wine list or styles yeah. i'm like we're gonna go out and eat you know yeah. vietnamese sure yeah, cool. thai, thai as well but more vietnamese yeah love that food you yeah know, the that spice and and some of the hardiness of it too. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they a lot of learned a lot from the French in terms of making good beef stocks and things. So yeah, um, I think that's the heart of their noodle soups and stuff is in those. There's actually some places in more in New York, but there's a couple in Philadelphia that you speak of that French thing that they're like these Vietnamese sandwich places because they oh, use yeah. the French bread yeah, with right. the Vietnam, Vietnamese, you know, whatever they want to put on there. But it's yeah. like nothing you've tasted because it's like, you know, European bread with the spice and, uh, you know, Asian food on it. And yeah, it's the spot with yeah, the beers. Yeah, they call it bun me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. 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 So good, man. Uh, and good, good, uh, yeah, challenging to, to put... Uh, wines with i guess but uh, yeah that's right because mostly beer um, yeah because they have like um shredded carrot and stuff that's been fermented in vinegar or something like that so Mm. could be you know might not make the wine look too flash yeah (laughs) yeah a little bit of that va kind of through there but uh oh that's cool a year in vietnam yes i'd end up a year well it ended up being two and a half years so um i um with my spare time i started doing some wine tastings um in central Ho Chi Minh, just trying to promote New Zealand wines a bit. Yeah. And the guys buying some of the wines off um, came to one of my tastings and then um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, would I like to work for him in more of a, um, well, looking after the wine department of his business and importing wines and then um, helping build up relationships with some of the key accounts. So, um, you know, for example, the Hilton had just arrived in, oh no, sorry, it was the Park Hyatt had just arrived in Ho Chi Minh and, um, you know, wanted to we, he wanted to build a business relationship with sure. them, and so um, so I helped with that. So it was a lot of fun, and um, you know, great thing about Vietnam is the population is very much skewed to you know young people, um, and they're all looking at um, new opportunities to try things, taste things, and food and wine. Um, so met a lot of people who were really interested in learning more about wine as well. Awesome. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, I guess you're gonna you're sort of wondering, well, when did I come back? No, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, I'm. I got time. Yeah. It's uh, you know, yeah. you sometimes you might not have as much time. No, I'm but, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you were there in a couple of years, and did that somehow lead? Did you start somewhere before you started at Villa Maria when you came back to New Zealand? Um, no. So yeah, what we always intended to come back, but um, obviously the life in Vietnam, we were having a lot of fun and. Um, and you know we're interested in having a, a family so sure um rebecca actually got pregnant in vietnam and that sort of um you know we were always keen to come back and have a family here in hawks bay so we um Smart actually, move. yes we came back at the end of 2006 but a friend's wedding was in october um, i came back by myself um, for his wedding and approached five wine companies in hawks bay and said look um moving back next year would really like to talk to you about um, opportunities and uh, met up with Emma Taylor who was the viticulturist at that stage. Sure, yeah, I remember Emma. Yeah, so she um, she didn't tell me at the time but she was actually pregnant. Oh, that's right, that's um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, And so my first job was to cover her maternity leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So she left just before harvest 2007 and I sort of covered that vintage and 
and she's um, she has come back to work for Villa, but never um, back to the role I have now. Um, she's worked in other roles, but raised three children along the way, and so worked part time off and on. Yeah, that's cool that they that you know, because she's a talented person that they kept her on and made it work. You know? Yeah, that's right. So that's another good sign of a good company that does those type of things. So, um, yeah, and then and then we meet. Yeah, and here right. we are. Um, and geez, lots of things going on with Villa Maria these days. I went to pick up a, a mutual friend of ours who lives behind the Tiawa Winery. Okay, yeah. And uh, I'd been there, you know, I'm there, I used to work at Tiawa. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I've been there for lunch and this and that. And I, by the way, the restaurant's really, really good these days. And, uh, you know, so oh, yeah, there's a couple containers back there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I went there a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah. woof, here we go. Yeah. You know? So it uh, looks like it's full on. And, going to be yeah. a pretty awesome Villa Maria winery there, which I think will do awesome for this area. I think it's yeah, There's a lot of activity out the back there at the moment. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> that's exciting. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, that's probably a good place to start, Tiawa being, you know, one of the newer holdings and property of, of uh, Villa Maria. It's only partially on the gravels, right? There's only, if the, yeah. was it just the front vineyards there, basically? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a 100-hectare vineyard, and I think, you know, about 45 hectares are on the gravels, but... Um, because Tiawa's tucked in behind Roy's Hill a little bit there, so yeah. um, the gravel that formed Tiawa's Gimblet Gravel side of the vineyard was um, when the river was in flood, it would have washed out across. So there's um, some facility parts Hill. there too, some yeah, heavier so, parts, yeah. So the driveway actually is a good line to, you've got Gimblet Gravels on the left and um, it's more bridge pass soils, uh, more silty soils on the right-hand side when you're driving in. Yeah. Um, so I think it's an amazing property because you've got um, you know got the benefit of those really stony soils for the late ripening reds, um, and Syrah and Cabernet Franc just in particular do so well there. And then on the right hand side, um, the Merlot actually with a bit more silt in the soil um, seems to do really well. And further along Chardonnay, we've got four clones of Chardonnay all on that um, slightly heavier soil. Um, some of it's dry farm now as well, and it just um, produces amazing wines and what do you think it is i mean that's a great site to talk about where you know in your best year or in a you know a a tougher year like we just got through on 17 that uh, you know i've worked on the gravels you know worked on vineyards there for three three or four straight vintages and you literally leaf plucking and pruning and doing everything and watching the fruit go through the whole the one thing that I noticed was was in the tougher years, it definitely helped that it was free draining because we will get the odd rain incident. Yeah. Um, uh, and I found it amazing that even in you know the middle of the summer is one thing when if it rains, then two days later it's just like yellow again and completely dry. Whereas I think yeah. a lot of other parts of Hawke's Bay, it's not like that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't retain the moisture as much. Um, yeah. I mean, what is it you think that you find with those those because uh, Villa's got vineyards all over the the gravels really so. Uh, generally, I know you, there's a lot of vari- variation throughout that, those yeah. soils, but what is it that you think makes it so great? Um, I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with just being so free-draining. I mean, there wouldn't be many other places in the world that is, you know, a pure gravel sort of deep soil like that. Yeah. And um, so in terms of um, soil moisture holding capacity, it's very low nutrient holding capacity, and then... Um, you know, you have to think too. The environment for the vines to live and survive in is pretty extreme. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the vines are naturally um, devigorated. So they, you know, they 
produce less canopy. Um, I think, you know, you alluded to it. We do a little bit of leaf plucking, but the canopies are quite open. Yeah, no, um, there's, there's a lot less than we have to do in bridge pop, for instance, yeah. you know, and that's still pretty good, <clears> you know. You can tell a lot by looking at the shadows on the ground, like um, when you walk in the gravels. If you look at the shadows, there's not this um, sort of complete shadow down from the road. It's sort of speckled light on the ground. Definitely, and it's, um, yeah. But um, the vines just, you know, they there's enough energy in the soil, and particularly if you need to irrigate, you can develop a nice strong green canopy. Um, but then by Christmas time, you know, the, the vines have really switched into ripening the fruit. And there's no sign of any growing tips anymore. Um, so the, all the energy is going into ripening those grapes. Yeah. And then I guess the, the bunches tend to be a bit smaller. The berry size is small. So everything about it is sort of pointing towards really intense flavors and concentration. Yeah. So I think that's a, a real benefit. And like you said, in challenging seasons, it's um, you can come in after heavy rain the next day and there's no sign of even a puddle anywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, also it comes with its challenges. Like, uh, you know, it's very tempting in those soils to irrigate. And so if you're not careful, you develop roots that um, sort of are concentrated in the topsoil and rather than getting nice and deep down. So um, you have to, you know, I think irrigation management is probably one of the trickiest things for optimizing quality out of that soil as well. Yeah. Do you find the... um as far as the wines themselves, now granted, you know, you've got a bunch of different winemakers, even within Villa Maria. Yeah, uh, sure. But, you know, you get some wines up on the table. But Villa Maria is probably a good example because you guys get make wines from all over the country. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I know there's a lot of people that work in that company that are passionate, and you obviously have a, a little bit of a background in, in, uh, in the trade, which I didn't know. It's pretty cool. I yeah. always find out something yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah, about right. people. So you obviously have a passion for wines. And when you get those wines in front of you compared to others, I mean, for me, there's kind of a, I don't know if angularity is a word, but I'm going to make it yeah. up. There's, there's sort of angular, those tannins. Um, yeah. I Certainly within Hawke's Bay, I can pick them out. Yeah. Uh, I have trouble sometimes outside of, I just know this is a new world wine as opposed to an old world wine. Yeah, sure. Picking them out of lineups. But uh, just for the wines themselves, I mean, is there something that you you th- you find anything? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the wines, we just had an interesting tasting um, over the weekend with Peter Gordon was here. Oh, yeah. And um, it was matched with some of the top um, wines. So we were comparing wines from sort of the Havelock Hills with the gravels and um, more like your neighbouring vineyard here, Redstone. And, um, you know, the the Gimlet Gravels wine did stand out for being uh, probably darker in colour, uh, more concentrated colour, um, but the palette was, it had the elements of being real, lots of fruit, fruit purity, but also some strong tannins there that it was a 13 vintage, I think. Oh, um, yeah, well, that'll be bright. So it's a bright year, though, too. It is bright, yeah. 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 So it's um, but yeah, if I was gonna when I'm describing the Kimmel gravel, I do talk about the um, the fact that the wines are concentrated, the tannins are strong. Um, you can often almost taste a gravelly type note to the wines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's certainly. I mean, I can. The more you know about the different regions and what the you know, it always seems to make sense if it's a quality yeah. wine. You yeah. Know, uh, it seems to make sense, so it's it's always funny when you're see them in a lineup and you go, ah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I think 
that's probably why what's a big thing behind the success is you know distinction yeah the quality because there's a lot of good producers there then small and big and medium or whatever yeah uh and that distinction the association has done a really good job of just and it's got a cool name don't don't you know (laughs) play that down at all that always helps to have because i mean i've for years since i've started bringing hawks bay wines back into the states yeah they would know give a gravels ahead of hawks bay sometimes like a lot of times and uh it's it's changing now yeah you know it's because there's a few more hawks bay wines in there and the Geez, everybody seems to be studying to be a psalm these days. Yeah, so they kind of, oh yeah, you know, that's an appellation within an appellation kind of thing. Um, but it is, it's pretty cool that they're, uh, you know, very unique wines, and that and that makes it kind of marketable, you know. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and hey, any advantage you can have in this uh, in this game. Yeah, and I think that you know what we talked about in terms of you know, more challenging harvests, the consistency of the gravels remains. Pretty Very high. much so, yeah. So whereas other areas might suffer more from that. Um, but like you said at the start, I think the Gimlet Gravels, um, it's not all about just pure stones. There's also areas where the river laid down more silt. Um, and, you know, some of the early viticulturists within Villamaria made some good decisions about planting um, Syrah and Cabernet on the more stony soils. But Merlot, I think, definitely produces more plush um, mm. style wines with um, more of the violets and the um, pure plum and things going on um, and with more balanced tannin structure um, on the soils with a bit more silt and um, where we have merlot planted more on the stony phases it it does well in the years that aren't so hot and dry but in the really hot dry years it, it suffers it's too much so yeah whereas cabernet i think it's um it's more vigorous and in those stony soils it will dig its roots down deeper and yeah um, it doesn't suffer so much from the the drought or the stress from low soil moisture. What about Cab Franc? Do you guys have decent uh, amount in there? Or? Yeah, we don't have a lot on our own vineyards, but that was one of the exciting things about buying Tiawa yes. vineyard because it's got three different um, clones and parcels of Cabernet Franc there. So that's um. You know, that's been really exciting to see Cabernet Franc, particularly in those soils. So something we're looking at for the future. Yeah, I think the the uh, scare of green as it was in the sort of 80s, 90s, yeah, yeah. which was fair enough. There, I've tasted some wines from there. It's pretty rough days, you yeah. know, planting, you know, the wrong clones of Cabernet on the wrong soils and yeah. you get these, you know, lime green wines, basically. Um, but... That has shied away, made people shy away from the fact that, you know, Franck's, you know, it's a green that's kind of more floral sometimes. And uh, it almost goes back to that, that Beaujolais thing where it's slightly different style of wine and they do well in the yeah. barrel, in the bottle. And, you know, you might pick it off the vine and go, mm, this is, you know, sugar ripe, but it's a little green. I'm not sure. And that, but yeah. we've watched it at Paratua where I've worked and I've seen it in a few other places where. Okay. Um, like Beach House does a Gimlet Gravels Franc some years, I think. Yeah, and I had a bottle of the the Gimlet, Trinity Hill, the Gimlet 2014 on Saturday night too, and that was 40% Cab Franc. I, I believe it, man. It's, yeah, Because they shine yeah. over time, you know. Yeah. I think in those mid-years, the Merlot just starts taking a back seat, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that Cabernet Sauvignon is always going to be the backbone. Yeah. But the Franc, and, you know, from like sort of year three, four, you know, for the next 10 years, it's the one that just just explodes out of the glass. Yeah. Makes the wine so much more interesting. So, 
Um, oh, I was just curious because, again, I know you guys do some individual stuff. So just to be clear, there's not going to be yeah. a single vineyard cab franc coming out anytime <laughs> soon from, not right now, from no, Villa but, Maria. Um, okay, keep know, an ear out for that, all right? One of the, we're just um, really looking hard at, you know, what are the the best clones of Cabernet Franc that we can get our hands on and, mm. and look at some of the history of these Tiawa blocks and what clonal material. Because I think Cabernet Franc is uh, one variety where the clonal selection makes 100%, a huge difference. 100%, man. Yeah. I've had... Yeah, we've had some uh, stuff that never makes our top range and yeah. other stuff that we never want to put in the yeah. lower range. And uh, we've seen, we've loved the 326 and 214. Okay. Uh, but I could tell you that, you know, it's really interesting about viticulture is I could tell you yeah. that. And, you know, as far as I know, the, like for Cabernet Sauvignon, for instance, the Cabernet, uh, the, the clone LC10, everybody likes on the gravels. Yeah. And it just doesn't do well for us in uh, okay. Bridge Pa. Whereas the clone 15 is that makes our top lines every okay. year. And wow. you just didn't know that until they did it. You know, then luckily yeah, sure. those original people own that place planted both. Yeah. And, uh, I think the LC 10 is doing better with age, but it's still not the intensity. Yeah. But if I were to talk to people growing in the Gibbet gravels, it's probably the opposite. Yeah. So I might be telling you the wrong clones. No, I think you're on the money. <laughs> um, we've planted 10 and 15 next door to each other on stony soils and the 10 shines, the yep. LC 10. Um, but, you know, that's a good example of, um, you know, for all the work we do in terms of viticulture, um, the, you know, the vine and the soil really drives front, the, making the right decision, that combination. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so uh, while we can take credit for these wines, it's, you know, the magical thing about um, growing grapes for wine, a lot of it's in the soil and the combination of that with the vine and the rootstock choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's, uh, yeah, there is sort of the... Uh, I think what we all appreciate and probably one of the reasons why I do this podcast is there is a, there's a bit of magic out there and a bit of the unknown and, yeah. you know, some years you get lucky and, but you know, that we're all sort of a part of this. And one of the good things about Hawks Bay is we can share that we do share this information and everybody seems to be relatively friendly with each other, you know, yeah, so that's, that's right. good. It doesn't, doesn't exist everywhere. Um, but uh, I'm going to let you go soon, but I have one final question. I just thought of when you mentioned earlier you went to high school in Hawke's Bay. I yeah. did hear some legendary stories about a van you had in high okay. school. Is that true? A van? That you had some sort of uh, killer mobile or some, yeah, some, something? Oh, that was a bit later on, actually. Yeah. Oh, it was later yeah. on. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I had a um, blue Mori Minor. What is, so what's a Mori Minor for That's us a, Americans? You know, you it's know? a Morris, um, English Morris Minor. It looked a bit... It's like a VW like bus kind English, English, No, this was a, a car. Oh, uh, English, okay. like a Vida um, bug, Beetle. Yeah. Um, but the English version. But um, now, when I was down in Otago, I bought a um, two door um, Chrysler Valiant, which was, um, I think it was a 1969. And um, that was the wagon back in the day. I was surfing a lot. And uh. um, so I used to see that car a lot on the roads around here going out to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we got, when we got married, that was our wedding car, but it wasn't long after that the. the um, that wasn't so suitable anymore. Passed away. Yeah. <laughs> went to the, went to the the graveyard. Yeah. Back on the old. Uh, so you did never race that on the old racetrack of the Gibbet Gravels. No, it used to be a no. racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did drive it to work a few times down there, but um, I actually got we got married out at the Rifleman's Vineyard, um, the Sacred Hill Rifleman's Vineyard, um, up the Dartmoor Valley, and um, the a favourite thing of. Our wedding day was the two of us in the old car driving back to 
um, the party yeah. back in Napier. Had Just a lot you of fun. two. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Oh, well, that seems like a good place to end. I'll let you go. You're probably got tons of uh, things to do in the vineyard and meetings and this and that. But uh, Yeah, we've got a plan where we're going to put this Cabernet Franc. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and a, a big winery expansion. Exciting times, man. Yeah, it is exciting. We're hoping that the the new winery will be ready for the harvest that's coming up soon. So that's crazy. Yeah, that's really really exciting. Man. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to um, worry about that too much. Just focus no, on the grapes. Just focus yeah. on the grapes. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. great to talk with them and catch up you know we see each other at events and things like that but it's, it was really good to sit down with them and chat and now I feel like next time I see him I'm gonna have a lot more to hang out and talk to him about what a good dude I had no idea about that Vietnam thing that is that's why you sit down with these people and have a chat he's kind of an unassuming guy but super knowledgeable that stuff he was saying about speckled light through the 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 leaves of the giblet gravels of the of the vines really something i hadn't thought about about that canopy size and how the light also gets in a little extra and it's just fascinating stuff i don't know maybe i'm just a crazy wine geek but i think that stuff is is really cool also had my first uh mic smash i don't know if you heard in the first like couple minutes there i just smacked my coffee mug right into the mic but um we've got a small production team here uh, vintage stories so that won't be edited out or hasn't been edited out by the time you're listening to it so i want to thank ollie again and once again we were sponsored by the give of gravels on this uh, episode and the next few episodes again i really really suggest you check out those annual vintage selection uh, it's a special thing comes out once a year check it out also again hashtag decibel wines hashtag drink decibel we're just getting the wines out there as much as we can now. We're feeling really confident and excited about things happening in New Zealand as well as uh, in the States. We're talking to some other countries now, and hopefully I'll have more news on that in the next few months. Um, but, yeah, again, use the um, the promo code DB Podcast to get 10% off your first order. And thanks a lot, Ollie. And we'll see you guys next time. We're going to talk with Warren Gibson from Trinity Hill, a bit of an epic, legendary dude who um, he just drops knowledge on us for a while. Talk to you guys soon. See you.